0: So many home fragrance scents smell unnatural, super sweet, chemically, or maybe even like a part of the mall you can't wait to escape. And after learning that the candle industry contributes to an insurmountable amount of non-recyclable waste, carbon emissions, and toxicity in our air, I am so happy that Notes Candles exists. Notes Candles is on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up high-quality fragrance that actually seems amazing. I have been loving burning the Santal and Atlas Cedar scent. It's woodsy, calming, and smells so good. I can't get enough. I love it. And they have other amazing, one of a kind fragrances like oat milk and balsamberry, vanilla and pepperwood, and pistachio and rose water. Every single one of them is exceptional. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notecandles.com slash best of you. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code best of you. Just use code best of you when placing your order. That's code best of you at notescandle.com slash best of you. Most of us could use more energy in our day, but we have to find ways to replenish our bodies in healthy ways. It turns out two main factors in low energy are chronic stress and a lack of nutrition. Organifi creates delicious superfood blends that address both of these problems. In the morning, try Organifi Green Juice with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. In the afternoon, I love Organifi Red Juice. It's a superfood punch that increases energy without the caffeine and only two grams of sugar. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Head over to wwworganifycom slash best you and use code best of you for 20% off your entire order. That's organifi, O R G A N I F I dot com best of you, and use code BEST OF YOU for 20% off. Hey, everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Best of You Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Oh my goodness, do we have a treat? for you today. I've been looking forward to having this conversation all summer, and I am so excited for you to hear it. Today, we are going to talk with my assistant and media coordinator, Cindy Gao, about her incredible story of a search for meaning and coming to faith in a really dark Place. She is part of Gen Z. And I know that so many of my listeners, you have either kids who are headed off to college or you're reading the news. There's just a lot of buzz around this generation and what they're dealing with and what they're thinking about. And Cindy just has such a unique ability to articulate her own experience with clarity and honesty and sincerity. And so I am just so grateful that she was willing to share all of that hard-earned wisdom with us as we seek to understand the young ones in our lives, whether they're your own kids, whether they're your grandkids, whether they're just the kids that you care about in your life. You first heard from Cindy on episode 62, where she and I discuss your questions about friendship. It's a great episode. I love the wisdom that she brings to it, so you can check out that episode. And she also helped me out in the Best of You Facebook group book club. So if you were a part of that this past January, Cindy will be a familiar voice to you. I first met Cindy last November, almost a year ago. She reached out to me via email. She was looking for part-time work. I was in need of assistance. She came on as an intern, and she's been helping me out ever since. She's just been such a gift to me. And when I first heard her story, it just stayed with me. It's just such an incredible story and a beautiful example of how God works through Google, God works through the pandemic, through even the isolation that was so awful that God met Cindy in such a powerful way through all of those terrible circumstances. And he wants to do that for all of us and all of our kiddos to find us, to restore us and to heal every single person part of us. I love this story, and I'm so thrilled that Cindy shared it with us today. Cindy Gao graduated from Harvard College in 2022 with a major in economics and a minor in psychology. She is starting her master's degree in counseling at Denver Seminary this fall. She was on the Canadian national fencing team for five years and was a six-time national champion fencer. You'll hear a little bit more about that in today's episode. She's just a great woman. I'm thrilled to have gotten the chance to get to know her. There's just so much wisdom here for all of us as we work together to help each other become more whole. I'm so glad that you're here with me today, Cindy. We meet every week, but this week is really special that we get to know more about your story. So thank you so much for being here today. So you reached out to me via email uh, about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, just letting me know that a little bit about your story, your your faith journey of coming to faith partway into your career as a student at Harvard. And one of the things that was really important to you on your spiritual journey that we're going to learn more about today was bringing together sort of this mental health peace with the theology and with your faith journey. I'd love to start a little bit backtracking to the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your background. What were you raised to believe about faith, about the nature of reality, about the purpose of life? Set the stage for us about young Cindy who's heading off to college. What's your idea about the world and and about faith and and things like that?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in a suburb close to Toronto in Canada. I was raised by an immigrant mom, and both my parents are from China. So my mom raised me and my brother on her own, really, while my dad worked in China. He visited a few times a year. But I think from a very young age, I knew how hard it was for my mom to kind of be raising me and my brother. I think also since we were immigrants, I felt a lot of pressure to you know assimilate to North American culture in order to belong and feel safe. And I think really for my mom, she believed that this path towards safety was through prestige and success and having other people's approval. Really, ever since I can remember, I I think I spent every waking second trying to achieve and perform and be recognized and seek my safety through that sort of stuff, through the high regard that other people would have of me. So yeah, I got Pretty much straight A's since kindergarten, I made sure I was always very positive and bubbly, so people would like me socially. And then I was also a really high-level athlete. Starting from fifth grade, I started fencing, and then I started competing on an international circuit from my first year of high school up until my last year of college. So I guess to paint the picture, essentially, on the outside, I'm this really confident, bubbly, high-achieving, really decorated scholar, athlete, popular kid. But, you know, what's really going on in my heart is that I'm being driven by really deep fear and insecurity. And I just think about whenever I got my good grades or won a competition or was elected a student body position, I never felt proud of myself, really, or, or confident in those moments. I felt relief relief for avoiding the alternative situation that felt really dangerous. Which would
0: have been what? Just
1: not winning. I think not winning and and losing felt like it wasn't an option for my survival. I mean, saying that out loud, I understand that I would have been able to survive if I didn't win. But I think in those moments, it really felt like life or death. Like I was so, so stressed out in those situations. So I, I tried so hard for everything. And for most of my childhood, I, I would say it worked out like I did win a lot of things. But yeah, I guess to answer your question about reality and what I believed about my purpose, I'm just going to get pretty raw and honest here. I think that I believed that I had to make up for how bad of a person I thought I was. You know, I, I saw how hard I made my mom's life. That's kind of what I believed, you know, like just growing up, you know, my mom tried her best, but she would sometimes make comments about how hard it was to raise me and my brother. And I think I really took that to heart. Mm -hmm. I remember an experience that really impacted me deeply was when I was in kindergarten, I was afraid of the dark and I couldn't sleep at night. And I would knock on my mom's door and she would just be so upset with me. But I couldn't control my fear. I was just scared. But that kind of made me just believe that this unchangeable part of me was just causing my mom to suffer. And that's basically this core belief that I had of myself was that I was bad and I needed to spend my whole life working to kind of offset that.
0: Yeah, children pick up these burdens. It makes sense that a part of you picks up a burden that mom's stress, even if that's not literally being communicated. That you see her stress, you see the pain she's in, and you tell yourself, a part of you tells yourself, it's my fault. I am responsible. And so then you're working overtime to make up for that. So that's that life or death, the stakes. And what I hear in everything you're saying, Cindy, is a really activated nervous system. You're in a state of fight-flight most of your growing up years to try to get that hit of, I can't lose, I can't let this drop because... It's not just and it's not rational. I understand that. But there's this sense of it will bring more pain to my mom and I will be responsible for it if I don't get this just right. Yeah, for sure. And Cindy, were you raised with any kind of particular religious worldview or faith background? Did you guys go to church or anything like that?
1: No, I remember when I was in maybe first grade going to church a few times, but something happened at church. I think there might have been some church drama and my mom kind of was hurt by a family in church, and then just we never went again. But I would say I grew up very agnostic, and I grew up in, I think, an environment where it was even a little bit hostile towards Christianity, kind of painted this picture of Christians as just people who weren't very rational, believed in crazy miracles, and didn't think too much about what they believed and also judged other people for not believing what they did. So, yeah, I'd say that was kind of the environment I grew up in.
0: Okay. So when you reached out to me, the extent of the story that I know is you told me a little bit about how you were, what year were you at Harvard when you started?
1: I was a junior when COVID hit.
0: Okay. So you told me that there was a point at which you started Googling meaning. Mm -hmm. And through that Google search, that's what ultimately led you to an experience of faith in Jesus. So tell us what led to, so everything you've said up till now, you're super successful. I would assume up until you go to Harvard, I don't know, but you're not happy, but this is just the only way you know, Mm -hmm. and it's working in a sense. Yeah, You've got the exterior, it's working, people like you, you've got those accomplishments, you're now getting into Harvard. So what happens in those first two years of Harvard that leads you to that moment of Googling meaning?
1: Yeah. So I think when I first got to Harvard, I was still trying to achieve, trying to make my mom proud of me and to see her happy. And I I remember very distinctly, sophomore year, I was working so hard. I was sprinting on a treadmill like every day. And my mom fell into the deepest depression I've ever seen her in. And I think I just felt so helpless. And I soon followed suit because... I knew I was pushing myself to my limit. I couldn't try harder physically than I was, but it still wasn't enough. And also what was kind of really something I was realizing, I guess, was that you know, externally I seemed to be thriving. But I knew, some part of me deep inside knew that something wasn't right. I felt really empty inside. And every time I tried to bring it up with my mom or, or my friends... I was kind of met with, oh, like, your life is so good, Cindy. Like, just don't think about that. So that was really hard for me because I knew something was wrong. But whenever I tried to talk about it, it was kind of like, oh, well, look at your life. You're so lucky. And like, look at all these things you have.
0: Yeah, you started to become aware of cracks between the external you and the inner you that's feeling not very great. But I hear what you're saying. You went to the people around you who were caught up in that same mindset going, well, you have everything. And so you're you're not getting that validation of someone saying, tell me more, what's going on or whatever. So you're feeling probably even more isolated then to some degree. And that's what led me to really question the meaning of life.
1: Like if this is what people are telling me and what I have always thought is supposed to be the meaning and purpose of life is to get these achievements and have all these things that I have. Why do I feel so empty and so devoid of meaning and purpose? That just stopped me in my tracks and I I fell into a pretty deep depression starting in sophomore year and then COVID hit my junior year and I really had to stop living my fast-paced life when COVID hit because everything kind of just shut down and slowed down and that's when I really started having all this time to be alone with my own thoughts and my own anxiety and, you know, had to face all this internal angst that had been building up for a
0: while. Right. Your old coping tactics of just running, pursuing, achieving, producing were kind of stripped away during that time. And were you also isolated, literally? Yes. You had to be alone in a dorm room, probably? Yeah. Well, we got kicked out
1: of school, so... right that was actually a pretty scary moment for me because my parents were both in China at the time. And so I was actually completely alone, just me in Canada. Wow. In a house all by myself. So that was really scary. I thought it would be temporary, but it wasn't. No.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So that's pretty much the backdrop of when I started Googling, you know, like why does everything feel meaningless? Mm. I think it was a pretty desperate move at that point. I never thought about doing anything to actively end my life, but I was definitely in a state of like suffering. Mm. It was a pretty desperate move by me to Google that. When I Googled that, I was scrolling through all sorts of different web pages and resources, and I found the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is a book in the Bible that starts out with everything is meaningless. And I I got sucked in. I I just kept reading it. And so much of it just resonated so deeply with me. The author talks about how he's achieved all this wealth and gotten all these things that people seem to care so much about. And he's like, what is it? It's just the blowing of the wind, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's exactly how I feel. Wow. So yeah, I think to me, that was the beginning of this journey for me to explore more deeply kind of what meaning and purpose is.
0: It's like you found someone finally who validated and mirrored your experience versus like what you're getting from your friends. He's like, yeah, I feel that way too. <laughs> Solomon's like, I got everything and it feels empty. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. That connection and validation I felt was so life-giving, mm. so life-giving. And I kind of really needed that because, you know, as I said before, whenever I tried to bid for connection
0: mm-hmm. in
1: my relationships i was kind of shut down of like get over yourself you know like your life is really good but here i was reading this book that kind of validated what i was experiencing and i just wanted to go deeper so that's how i got sucked into reading more of the bible and connecting with christians
0: so what happened from there so you're at a really desperate moment you start connecting with ecclesiastes You start reading more of the Bible. Where do you go from there? Tell us what happens next.
1: Yeah. So I really wanted to talk to people who read Ecclesiastes and I wanted to understand how they found meaning and purpose. And everything at this point was shut down. You know, we were still in the pandemic, the initial stages of it. But I reached out via email to a Christian campus group at Harvard. It's the Crew campus group. And I just said that I'm curious to talk to some Christians that I I didn't want to be Christian, I didn't really want anything to do with Christianity, but I just had some intellectual questions. And they connected me with a small group called Big Questions, and it was so amazing. I remember meeting every Friday, and I'm so excited every Friday for that two hours that we met through Zoom. It was a place where we really explored deep existential questions. And I met Christians and non-Christians alike who were really engaging in these these questions. And I also met Christians who, who actually had really intriguing reasons for God. They weren't just Christian because their families were—they weren't just saying like, oh, I just believe in this stuff because it's true. They had put a lot of thought into their faith. And there were such rich conversations about the nature of reality and historical evidence— for Jesus's resurrection. And I didn't believe all of it right away, but it was so interesting. These conversations, you know, it helped me rethink a lot of the assumptions I had made about Christians from growing up. So during this time, I was also reading the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John telling the story of Jesus. Basically, Ecclesiastes was what I was really like in for, but I I then also wanted to read like the other parts of the Bible. And you know, the Bible is centered around Jesus and the gospels tell his story. So I I went there next. And the stories of Jesus just like hit me like a train. I think I was just reading about his life and seeing how he acted and how he did not people please. He didn't live for the approval or praise of other people he went against his own family sometimes to live out who he's meant to be. And I saw that and I was like, it was so inspiring. And I saw in the life of Jesus, like what I needed this like strength that I saw in him to be able to do that. I was like, I need that. Like, where is that strength coming from? And, you know, there's other parts of the gospels where Jesus talks about the Pharisees and he's kind of criticizing them for for judging people who aren't following the rules. And I, this whole time, I thought that Christians were just supposed to be like that. But then when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus criticizing people who are like that, you really have to be like, oh, this isn't what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about judging people and imposing all these rules on people's lives. Like, it's so much more than that. It's so much deeper. And so I would say all of those things kind of just drew me... Further in, And one last thing I add that was really important for me was that I met safe adult Christians. They were the first people I felt safe sharing all this pent-up pain and anxious thoughts. I, I had never shared those things with anyone before. And I shared with them. And I experienced the healing that happens when you share hard things. And there are compassionate people present with you. I experienced that. And, you know, all of those things just just changed my life. And I I didn't need any more convincing after that. I was like, this is the way to life. There's no other way to life. Like, this is it.
0: It's interesting. It's like your nervous system had that healing reparative experience of what it feels like to feel seen and soothed and loved and safe. And I hear you saying there's a, a bunch of different things. but That was one factor for you of kind of when when the psalmist says, I've tasted the goodness of God, you experienced it. It was intellectual, but you also experienced, oh, this, this is what I've been needing is this kind of acceptance and unconditional love. You probably know Simple Modern as one of the top drinkware providers to Target, Walmart, and Amazon. Their 40-ounce Trek tumbler with handle are all over social media. They're the perfect brand for everything you need for summer. They have all the back to school essentials with backpacks, drinkware, lunch bags in all your favorite designs and partners your kids will love like Disney, Marvel and more. And maybe the best part is that they give 10% of their profits to nonprofit organizations that are committed to causes like fighting human trafficking and ending homelessness. I love my Lavender Mist Voyager Travel Mug. It keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. And best of all is it fits perfectly in my cup holder in my car, which is the whole reason I want a travel mug. I hate it when you get those travel mugs and they don't fit in your cup holder. It's amazing. Simple Modern has so many stylish accessories and drinkware for you and for your kids on their website. Go to www.simplemodern.com slash best of you. And by sharing your email, you'll get a unique discount code just for you or bundle and save for back to school. This should be your go-to brand for your family. My family and my dogs are so happy to have discovered Sunday's Food for Dogs. It is amazing. It's nutritious, affordable, air-dried dog food that contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. Sunday's was co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing veterinarian. And besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids and disease-fighting antioxidants for your beloved pets. My dogs go crazy over Sundays. I'm not kidding. I mean, we bring out the dog food and they both just go nuts for Sundays. And we have one dog in particular. We have two doodles. Our one doodle is a little bit older. She's 10 years old and she's been getting kind of picky about her food. She hasn't wanted to eat, but she loves Sundays. She's so excited. She's doing great. They both have more energy. We want them to be around for a long time. Unlike other fresh dog foods, Sundays has zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf-stable, which makes it easier to feed your pups top-quality food. Every order ships right to your door, so you'll never worry about running out of dog food again. Best of all, Sundays costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, which is sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your pup. We worked out a special deal for our dog-loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash best of you or use code best of you at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash best of you. I want to ask you, and I think we'll circle back to this because I there were some key ingredients That when we circle back to kind of talking about Gen Z and more general issues, because there were some really neat things that I think Christian groups on your campus did right. Right. I'm thinking about that big questions group. I I get the sense there wasn't a wasn't high pressure. There wasn't an agenda. There was a lot of authenticity. People were just allowed to show up with their questions and ask them because my sense of you is you would have seen right through a hard sell. <laughs> yes. You were looking for connection. That's <laughs> yes. what brought you in is genuine interest, not someone trying to proselytize you.
1: Yeah. And I, I do have to say, I mean, if someone tried to tell me what the gospel was and asked Jesus into my life at that point, I would have run away. I would have been like, nope, <laughs> I'm out of here. Like, that's not what I'm looking for right now. I just, I just want to have some conversations. And I don't want to feel pressure to not be in the place that I am now. Like, I want people to be with me where I'm at and not to kind of push me in the direction they want me to go.
0: That's right. Yeah. You'd known enough of the pressure system. You needed that. (laughs) You know, your whole face just lit up when you talked about those Friday evening Zooms where you could just ask the questions that were actually on your mind and show up. Yep as that part of you that had been so buried deeply inside that was really hurting.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Oh man, it's just such a powerful story. So you've talked about Cindy a little bit to me here and there about how it seems as if fairly shortly thereafter, you did take an interest. I don't know if it was through books or if you saw somebody in faith-based therapy. Tell me a little bit about how you're kind of in this journey of thinking about Jesus, of reading the gospels, of Getting to know other Christians, your nervous system is having this whole different experience of a way of being. So there's a lot going on. At some point in here, you come to a whole body. You know, I like to think of it. I think in the old school ways of evangelism, it's like I, I have an intellectual ascent that Jesus. You know, I, I think it's a whole body. You know, I think people can have an intellectual belief and never have really tasted the good. You know, and, and I just hearing you, it's like mind body soul, emotion, every part of you is like, something here is true. This is a whole body experience. And so this is happening. And then somewhere in there, you also started to be drawn to some Christian mental health resources. And I'm just curious how that played into your journey.
1: Yeah, I would say it's inextricable. The mental health and emotional healing and my faith, like those two things had to come together for me. A big barrier For me to accepting the gospel was this core negative belief I had about myself, you know, that I was bad and unworthy. And I had lived experiences that shaped those beliefs for me. You know, I I had experienced things growing up that I interpreted to mean these things about myself. For someone like me hearing the gospel that there's a God that loves me, that I'm worthy, that I'm good, that's going to trigger a lot of cognitive dissonance in me. That does not align with what I think is true. And I'm not going to be able to just latch on to that story when I have so many experiences that back up what I believe to be true. It was always very intuitive to me that I would need sort of this deeper unpacking of what has shaped me to believe these things about myself. And no amount of theology— was going to help me just like bypass that pain and believe this new story. You could tell me all these facts, quote all of this scripture to me, and it would do nothing. I would just be like, "Ah, I understand that's what's written in the Bible, but I physically do not feel that to be true. And I don't know what's wrong with me. So I had to choose a different approach, you know, and in the psychology therapy field, we we learn about corrective emotional experiences. And that's, you know, this idea that your healing doesn't come from insight alone. It's experiential. So I needed corrective emotional experiences with safe adults, like therapists that I found, like the crew staff in my life who showed me that, hey, when I share my emotions, that doesn't make me a bad person. Maybe it's possible that there are people who care about me enough to want to know how I'm doing and they care about my suffering. You know, it's it's always like, I think that these adults are going to respond, you know, in a way that's going to shut me down and all those things because I had those experiences in the past. But when they don't, I start to be like, oh, well, maybe it's possible that I am not a bad person. I'm not just complaining. Could it be possible that I deserve better. Could it be possible that I'm worthy of being treated this way? Could it be possible that there is a God who loves me? You know, like that's kind of how it went for me. And without those sort of experiences, I I just would not have been open to the gospel.
0: Yeah, there's something so powerful in what you're saying about, you know, you can have all the world's best theology, but there's that lived experience where the parts of your soul Your nervous system, you know, whatever words you want to put on it are experiencing the whole body, the lived truth of the words. Otherwise, it's just words. And you can want to believe it and you can even intellectually believe it. But yeah, I just hear you saying it was something in you that kind of gave yourself permission to expose yourself to a different way of someone being with you and someone experiencing you. I would imagine that was pretty intense.
1: Yeah, it was. But, you know, I was really drawn into, honestly, Allison, reading your book, Boundaries for Your Soul, and I also read Andy Kolber's book, Try Softer, and reading about these, like, psychology, mental health therapy fields and how they— because you guys are in that intersection between faith and mental health and therapy. It gave me insight and helped me understand— that I needed to form this basis of safety and allow my pain to be seen. Like the insights that you guys drew from your field of study and, and how you integrated that with faith, it, it made a lot of sense to me. And it helped me take that risk, you know, because it is a risk to expose yourself again. But yeah, I knew I knew I needed to do that in order for my pain to be seen, to make room for hope. That's just how the process goes.
0: It's so interesting listening to you because I could see it so easily. You could have the intellectual, you could have the joy of, I want to believe this. And if you had bypassed the pain, it would have come out at some point. But I love that you, and and this is the work, and now you're going in to do this work, which is so beautiful. I love that you almost instantly were like, I got to go deeper. I got to do that. The healing work is part of this whole thing. It's not optional. It's part of it. It's intertwined with really absorbing and metabolizing the truth, which isn't just truth, isn't just intellectual. Again, it's the true experiential truth of a God who is ultimately this safe place for us. But when we've never had an experience of safety, how in the world do we understand that? That's just abstract until other people show us what that experience of a loving presence is.
1: Yeah, and and even just reading the Bible, that is the sense that you get of what God wants for us. He does not want us to just know all these scripture verses and be able to quote them off. He wants us to experience His love. He wants us to feel the safety and strength that comes from truly believing that He loves us unconditionally. He loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. You know, like, what kind of people do we become when we let that truly sink in to our souls? It changes who you are on a very deep level. And that's what God wants for us, I think. It's not just this behavior change that he's looking for.
0: Right. Head knowledge, behavior change. Yeah, we really short sell. And I want to get to this, because I do think what you're saying is, I don't want to ask you to speak for all of Gen Z. That would not be fair. But I do think some of what you're saying speaks to the cry of a heart of, a, of the generation that wants more of what you're saying. Before we get there, I want to touch on one other point, which is you told me at some point that speaks to this whole body transformation that was going on. Mind you, you're still at Harvard. You're still like, you know, <laughs> doing classes. You know, I'm, I'm assuming this is most of that junior year where you were remote. But you told me that at some point, maybe this is when you returned to campus, that your nervous system had undergone such a shift and how you experience things, that it would be hard for you to be around the anxiety, the fight-flight kind of crowd, you know, the, the achieving, producing crowd, your prior friends. These are my words, but it was almost as if you were saying, because your nervous system had experienced something different, experienced a different way of being in the world. I don't have to just move through life in a constant state of stress and fight-flight. That it was hard for you for a while to, you had to almost extract yourself during that season a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that was a really hard thing to navigate. So I took a gap year right after my junior year, and that's where a lot of what we've talked about really happened for me and all this, these insights and seeking healing and beginning to open up to people. That all kind of happened during my gap year. And then I was really scared to go back to Harvard to finish up my senior year because I didn't want to fall back into the same patterns i had when i was there
0: last totally yeah
1: i mean i look back and i i don't think i necessarily did everything perfectly it was so hard but yeah i did have to learn to give myself permission to say no to a lot of things you know my first 3 years of college i partied a lot. I lived such a fast-paced life because I didn't want to ever be alone with my own thoughts. But I, I knew I needed to embrace a slower lifestyle. I needed to say no to a lot of parties and things that were going on, and that was really hard. And I had to navigate changes in my friendships. That was really hard because my friends also, you know, they also had to adjust because it was like I was kind of a new person and not the same person that. They knew from before. And so navigating all of that was really difficult. We talked, you know, in that episode about friendships, you know, the guilt that comes up when you change as a person and how that can affect your friendships. And like you feel guilty because you're like, oh, my friend is actually uncomfortable because I've changed. And it's not because they're a horrible person, but it's just, it's different. So it's uncomfortable. And is that my fault? Like, oh, no, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Like, but I can't go back to how I was. And so really learning to sit through that and be okay with disappointing other people because that's what Jesus did. He disappointed so many people because he just needed to be who he was and he wasn't going to change himself for other people. So I remember always reminding myself of that my senior year. This is really hard, but this is the path to life. I need to be who I am.
0: And Cindy, what I love, the fruit of the Spirit is so evident in what you're saying. It's the humility of, it's. I don't want to hurt anybody. I love these people. I'm not trying to send a message. It's just, this is what I have to do for my health and wholeness. This is what I have to do to be more like the person God wants me to be. And I love the humility in that. But I think when there's that humility, there's also sometimes more of that sensitivity. It's almost easier to put on the mask of starting to judge other people. We don't have to then face the pain of that feeling of separation when it's just genuinely, you know, there's such a genuineness in what you're saying. I just needed to save my own soul. I needed to mind my own heart, mind, and soul in these old ways, whatever they were, whether it was overperforming, whether it was trying to distract myself by staying busy all the time, I have to make different choices. And I do think about Jesus a lot. Like, he he had to stay true. It is the narrow way. It's not an easy way. It is the way of life, though. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So often, we're faced with a crossroads in life, and we don't always know which path to take. You might be thinking about a career change, or you might be feeling like your relationship needs some extra care. Whatever it is, therapy can help you map out your future and trust yourself To find the way forward, I think it's so helpful for all of us to have a therapist from time to time, especially when you're navigating key changes, seasons of life, whether it's kids leaving home or kids coming back home, aging parents, career choices, relationship challenges. It's so helpful to have someone there to help you think through it and stay clear. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash best of you today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash best of you. I am always looking for ways to save time and money while also maximizing health benefits, and that's why I am thrilled to have discovered Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online and quickly shipped to my doorstep is just un. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can easily use their on-site filters to get really specific about what matters to me. For example, I can filter out low sugar, non-dairy, gluten-free, any of those very specific dietary needs that anyone in your family might have. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save about 30% each time. And best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give a membership away. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And if you want to take your conversations with your audience to the next level, you can use Q&A, you can use polls, you can use all the things to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in so many ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for podcasters and it is so easy to use to get your work out into the world. So if you want to make a podcast, I recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. I'd love it if you would share with us a little bit, again, not asking you to be speak for your generation, but I think about your story and I think about listeners who are sending their kids back to college or are preparing their kids for college. I just am curious, you know, some of your thoughts about what do you kind of think other folks in your generation are needing or, or longing for or seeking as it relates to faith and wholeness? How can we be more mindful and more attuned to those needs as adults, moving toward those healthy adults. What would you say about that?
1: Yeah. So I think mental health is something my generation talks a lot about. A lot of us are struggling with anxiety and depression and, you know, a whole host of things that we're struggling with internally. And I think it's really interesting because Gen Z, you know, we have enjoyed so much progress in terms of all these technological advances, you know, advances in medical care. And, and we just have access to so much more stuff than ever before. And so it looks like it's so much easier for us to navigate life technically. But, you know, I would actually say it's been extremely hard for my generation to navigate life emotionally and psychologically. So, you know, we grew up with cell phones and and the Internet. And, you know, you're like 13 and you're reading about all the tragedies that are happening around the world on your phone. And you're scrolling through the one by one. And, you know, our brains are like, it's just developing. You know, we, we're so overwhelmed. There's so much going on. There's We're also exposed to, you know, cyberbullying or all the social pressures that you feel when you're in person at school growing up. We had to feel that also online. You know, you don't get a break from that when you leave school and go home. You're that sort of like wanting to belong and wanting to fit in. You can't only care about in person do I fit in? Do I belong? You also have to care about your online, ever present persona. And so, you know, I think a lot of us just grew up so overwhelmed and like constantly alert and emotionally just like we have access to so much technology, but. How do we navigate that? I don't think we necessarily know. Just having opportunities doesn't guarantee that we have the wisdom to navigate those opportunities. So we we need people to guide us and, and lead us to, you know, resilience and emotional intelligence and these sorts of skills that we can't learn just from the internet. You know, we need presence of Other people in our lives, teachers, parents, safe adults, who we can talk to about our feelings. We have so many feelings, (laughs) and we really need safe places to talk about that. We need unconditional love. So I think there's not really anything specific that I said there, but...
0: It really makes a lot of sense. We had in last week's episode, I talked with Sissy Goff, who is a therapist, and she talks about anxiety. But one of the things she talks about is how it's kind of underscores what you're saying, which is it's really on the adults. It's on the parents. We have to be the safe place. We have to figure it out and walk in there with you and hold that calm space with you so that your nervous system has a chance to release some of that cortisol and some of that toxic stress that you're carrying around. We have to do our jobs. If it means we have to get off line, if we have to do it, we have to do to regulate so that you have someone to help you find those reparative emotional experiences with. It's really interesting what you're saying. I think it's pretty profound.
1: Yeah. And I would add, I think people in my generation, we're all trying to fit in to be accepted, to belong, to be cool, maybe. And I think what would be so great for parents to be able to provide to their kids or just adults to be able to provide to people that they're they're leading as adults, you have all sorts of fears and desires for these kids, you know, in your lives. But the big blessing for those kids would be, you know, in the situation that the kid ends up doing something that you didn't want them to do, or they didn't do something that you wanted them to do, do you think you can still be that safe person for them to talk to about it, to walk with them through that? Because I think as kids, you know, we are Sometimes maybe even pushing those buttons like, hey, is there a point where we will no longer be accepted by you, where we will have to hide from you? And we, we kind of want to push that sometimes. And, um, you know, I think about how having that safe experience with an adult, it's like a lived experience of what God's love is for us. Because, you know, God has high standards for his children, and those standards don't change if the children don't want to fulfill those standards, but God continues to pursue our hearts and continues to be our refuge and our sanctuary when we fall short and when we do the things that break his heart. You know, that's a very lofty thing to ask of parents, but it will give your kid a lived experience of God's love, and that will change your kid's life.
0: Yeah, that's a good word. Preach that. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's it reminds me what you're saying, Kurt Thompson says we are all, something along the lines of we are all born into the world, looking to be found. Mm. And when you're describing whatever the kid is doing, even if it's to push you away, they're trying to be found. So I love that. Cindy, you are just you're so articulate. I so appreciate your perspective and your sharing your perspective. And I I find myself as I listen to your story thinking, I'm, you know, when you paint that picture of being all alone during the pandemic and facing, you know, the existential realities. I just think of how many kids are probably feeling that. And I just so appreciate your sharing it with us. What would you want your younger self to know? I don't know, maybe back to 13. What age feels good to you?
1: Maybe like four.
0: (laughs) Four, yeah. What would you want your four-year-old self to know that you know now?
1: (sighs) I mean, this is interesting. I think I'm still... Currently, pretty deep in the process of kind of grieving my younger self, and just when I think about some of the ways that I, you know, interpreted the world and messages about myself, I, I, just, it just brings tears to my eyes, and I, I feel my body tense up as I remember how unsafe I felt and how deeply troubled I was always feeling, and my heart just breaks for her. But um, I think my younger self can sense that like she knows that I feel that way about her. And that's really healing. So yeah, I guess I wish that she would know that she's a gift and that she's not a burden. I wish that she would know that she's good. But yeah, I mean, I don't even know if current Cindy is fully there yet. So I guess that's also my wish for my current self.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love what you're saying. There's a paradox of grief. Of sort of having to revisit and the pacing of it too, the pacing of revisiting and knowing that we have a whole lifetime really to do the work of reparenting those younger parts of us and helping them to understand what we know. But I love that you're getting little glimpses and that she's getting little glimpses from you and from other people around you. So it's beautiful what you're all the work you're doing to give her what she deserves, which is just that. I think one of the things I love about IFS work is when we invite these young parts of us to unburden, they almost always want to dance and play. It's always like some really light, you know, and and I just think about that for you. When I think about your little four-year-old girl, that's when I'm like, because I, I picture this hardworking and I'm like, oh man, I just hope she gets to have a ball. And what is bringing out the best of you right now?
1: Yeah, what you mentioned of allowing that younger part of myself to play and be silly. I have spent the past 2 months this summer in a really small town in Illinois. It's called Dietrich. It's where my husband and his family lives. There's 800 people in the whole town and it's been really good for me. I think, you know, just from my story of just always chasing prestige and feeling a lot of pressure to always get the best job or like The most prestigious whatever it is, you know, in this town, I feel none of that. I Mm. just so much easier for me to give myself permission to do less here, to slow things down, to just have fun and to relax. And that's been
0: so good to me. (laughs) Every time we would get on the the Zoom to talk this summer, you'd be like, I was at a carnival, or I was at a parade, or I was at a fair. You were just, and it really, you know, in the context of this conversation, there was was a sort of wonder about you. Mm -hmm. Just like that childlike wonder, like, oh, we went to a fair. And it was just so cool to see you just kind of enjoying this whole new, that's cool. I love it. Well, I cannot wait to hear more from you as you enter into this new chapter of your journey at my alma mater at Denver Seminary, yeah. where you're going to be studying counseling. But one thing I love about you, Cindy, is you are very clear about not putting that pressure back on yourself. You're doing it because you love it. You're doing it because you want to learn, you want to grow. And you're really good about you know just being very clear about your intentions. And so I cannot wait. I'm so excited to vicariously hear what you're learning about and what's bringing you life as you go through this journey. But thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom with us. You're just a gem and just such a gift. You've been such a gift to me. I'm just so grateful for you and grateful for you sharing this wisdom with us today. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Best of You. It would mean so much if you take a moment to subscribe, You can go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the plus or follow button. That will ensure you don't miss an episode and it helps get the word out to others. While you're there, I'd love it if you leave your five-star review. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.